This is the Shift Podcast. Coming up on today's Shift Daily Podcast, Greg Fish ditches the doom and gloom of 2021 to share the amazing stories in science and tech that have made the world a better place. Better vaccines, more accessible space travel, cheaper green energy, and more. And Handy Andy is back with the top tech stories of the year, the Facebook outage, Amazon Web Services, and other big stories that defined 2021, plus a futuristic dog door that the Jetsons would be proud of and more. Plus, are you okay with time capsules? This is the Shift Podcast. Are you okay? Are you okay with time capsules? They're a very nerdy way of showing the people of the future the past. You guys ever made a time capsule? I think I did. I think I made one in like grade six. I can't remember off the top of my head. I'm pretty sure because I remember like, no, we definitely did. I probably put like a Lego minifigure or something in it. Uh-huh. Uh, I have no idea where it is. I have no idea what happened to it. But I think they're cool. There's one in uh, in a mall in Calgary and it's like sealed underneath and there's a countdown clock. And I think it's like another 200 years. Whoa. And I could probably just look up what's inside of it. But that's kind of the internet's kind of ruined time capsules because uh-huh. people 200 years from now could be like, oh, there's a time capsule from 200 years ago. What is in mall time capsule? Totally. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I think we've kind of defeated the purpose now. Yeah. I made a time capsule at the end of college with my roommate from uh-huh. college in 2006 when I graduated from college. And um, 2016 was when we were supposed to send them to each other. And I got his in the mail like he sent me mine right and then i completely forgot about it <laughs> and lost it in an attic in several houses ago that i felt so bad i See, was like whoops but now somebody is gonna buy that house at some point and go to clean out that attic and hopefully find it and get it to its rightful owner and it's gonna I be it's so. gonna be an amazing story I hope, I, hope, so, yeah. I hope so, too. I did one with my best friend when we were younger in elementary school, and we had planned to leave it buried for, like, 10 years. And then when we dug it up, everything that was inside it uh, had gotten wet. And we <laughs> there was nothing. There was no pictures. There was... It was it was disaster. We did it very very poorly, as uh, two you know fifth grade kids would probably do. But I think that's kind of how you have to do it: is put um, like the mall idea, like, hey, what's in this time capsule? But I, I get that you can just kind of Google that type of thing. You got to put things that are personal that remind you of a certain period in your life. So maybe you made one in grade school, but it probably wasn't like this. A time capsule was found in Calgary today, and it has an amazing story. Construction crews working on Sate's Heritage Hall recently discovered a package from 1968. State officials managed to track down the person who it was addressed to, and as Tracy Nagai reports, they didn't have to go far to deliver the package. Inside the paper was even, uh, it was interesting. They were talking about, you know, Concord. Some of the headlines from 1968, a glimpse of the past found under these stairs. Our contractor lifted it and found the package underneath deep next to the foundation. It looked like a Subway sandwich wrapped in craft paper with lots of question marks 
all over it. The construction crew made the discovery on December 1st, more than 50 years after it was hidden. The package placed there by state instructor Donald Katuk, who was also a bricklayer. He also worked for Alberta Public Works. He was a history buff and he was in the military. And we know that there is a strong military um, history with this building. Along with the Calgary Herald, some Legion and auto magazines and other documents, as well as a centennial dime. The package addressed to Donald's son, William, who was just three at the time. Here you go, William. I think this belongs to you. The most amazing part, Sate didn't have to go too far to deliver the package. A part-time teacher here for one class, one of their winter classes. William, following in his father's footsteps, started working at Sate about five years ago, walking by this spot hundreds of times. He had his hand on a lot of these buildings. He, he loved these buildings. We were going by here when I was maybe around 12 years old, and Dad told me that they, he had put something under the steps here that... Don't be surprised if you get a call one day. Sadly, Donald passed away in 1987. But for his children, this discovery, a cherished gift so close to the holidays. That's a pretty amazing little Christmas present 53 years later. The past catching up with the present and a chance for a father to say one last hello to his son. Trace Nagai, Global News. Very cool story. So you see, Brendan, there is a possibility that that... That that time capsule that you lost, that you should have delivered to your friend, yeah. not judging you or anything, yeah. uh, it could still find its way there. And uh, remember, based on my story, you want to make sure those things are watertight. If you're going to bury it in the ground like I did, you want to make sure it's sealed, not just in like an ice cream pail. Otherwise, uh, the contents may well uh, not survive. Okay. Are you okay with 3D printing? I want a 3D printer. I want it. I want to try it. I actually totally, dude. for Christmas, uh, my friend has a 3D printer and I've been getting Laura, my partner into comic books and mm-hmm. Laura really likes Wonder Woman. So I was like, can you 3D print me Wonder Woman's like crown? Yeah. And I was expecting, he's like, sure, man. I was expecting something this tiny. No, he made a full like wearable Wonder Woman crown. It's pretty rad, it's the 3D so printing cool. thing, isn't it? Yeah. Brandon? I it. Oh, it kind of creeps me out. I don't know. Why oh. am I not surprised? What what creeps you out about 3D printer? I don't know. It just, it seems so, it seems as if it's like a futuristic thing that should be several years away. I'm freaked out that it's now, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. So here's my experience with them. Uh I think I've mentioned to you guys my family has a cottage in Point Roberts where there's not a, not a whole lot going on, and that's kind of the appeal there. Uh, a gentleman who lives a, a street over from where, where our cottage is has a big 3D printer in his garage and has set up a little sort of help the community kind of pay-what-you-can business where it's like, oh, I need uh, – uh, a doorknob or whatever type of thing that might be hard to procure in Point Roberts, and he'll 3D print it for you, you know, if you can bring him an old one. or I don't know how all the details kind of work with it, but it's kind of a cool thing where people are like, oh, this – like, for example, for us, the the handle on our dishwasher broke 
and uh, we got a new piece for it 3D printed because oh. it's like this old dishwasher because everything in Point Roberts is old and there's not an appliance repairman there or anything. And uh, he 3D printed us the piece that we needed. So I am very okay with it. You can use a 3D printer to, yeah, make almost anything. But what if you could 3D print your entire home? Brendan's starting to sweat. That's what a town in Iowa is doing to help rebuild a neighborhood. Here's more from CBS 8. I'd like to think anything is possible. ISU Assistant Professor of Industrial Design Pete Evans is excited. He's expecting to take delivery of a giant 3D printer much like this one in the next few months. It's an overhead gantry system with a computer nozzle that spits out concrete. Once it's set up on a job site, the machine slowly builds up structures layer by layer. This is the extruder where the concrete is actually laid one layer at a time. Eventually, those layers turn into walls. And with the addition of a roof, windows, doors, and other trim, it looks just like a conventional house. The big benefit, the whole process takes very little manpower and can be completed in a few days. This will accelerate the construction of affordable housing so that we can automate some of that function and also build more houses more rapidly at a lower cost. Super cool. They're going to rebuild an entire neighborhood in Hamburg, Iowa. It's a rural town that was severely damaged by flooding in 2019. And yes, I understand. What about the jobs? What about the people who should be building those places? Totally get it. But what about the the towns where there's a damage by flood and you don't necessarily have the people or the resources or the time or the money and you can get a machine to do it? I feel like there's, there's a place for that. Not exactly yeah. sure how this is yeah. all going to go when the machines actually take over, but, you know, there's, there's a place for it. There's jobs there, too. There, you'll need someone to operate that 3D printer. You need someone to build that 3D printer. You Fair need someone enough, to understand Ryan. how to use it. So there's, you know, you might lose five jobs, but you probably create ten in different ways with the whole, which is going back to what we talked about with Greg Fish. So I think this is neat. Um, but the, the one thing you'll notice with 3d printing is it's layered plastic yeah. right? and you can see the layers in these houses. You can see the layers of concrete. Really? So it looks like something out of like the Flintstones. It's really weird, but neat. This is the shift podcast. Now let's get into the world of weird things. Welcome. Welcome. To the world of weird things with Greg Fish. Hello, Greg. Hello. How's it going? It's going. How about yourself? Oh, pretty good. Uh, do you have a positive memory, uh, a good news memory uh, from the last year that you'd like to share? Oh, that's uh, that's a great. Qu- let me get let me get back to you on that. <laughs> That says a lot, doesn't it? Uh, uh, We're on your website here, Weird Things, Science Tech, and Other Oddities. It does look like, though, there was some good stuff that happened over 2021, which uh, it's kind of hard to put your head into that headspace because we were just absolutely assaulted with what feels like negative news. But there was some good stuff that happened out there. Yeah, and uh, honestly, I can't believe I'm doing this because usually I'm the wet blanket that that brings all the bad news. But uh, no, there's actually some good stuff out there for a change. Uh, And probably the most important thing for me is that there's phase one trials for a coronavirus vaccine that's going to work against all coronaviruses. So 
the reason why that's a big deal is, first of all, we don't have to worry about constant boosters with new variants, as you know, we're kind of worrying about now. And the other big and important thing is that coronaviruses were kind of like the last source of major pandemics. So between antibiotics, between vaccines for existing flus and um, and and treatments for existing colds and other upper respiratory diseases, getting coronaviruses under control with a pan-coronavirus vaccine would mean something like COVID-19 doesn't happen to us again. Well, we'd still have new diseases, we'd still get sick, but we wouldn't be completely defenseless where we have to, you know, just fight for a couple of years to just try and get a hold of it um, against, you know, people's best efforts to prolong this. Right. I just love the idea that we're, we're looking forward uh, and trying to, you know, ounce of prevention uh, better than a pound of cure type of thing, because I know everybody wants to get ahead of this thing and we want to get past it. I've said before that I don't. I I haven't had COVID and I don't want to have COVID. And if it means I need to take a booster every year to do that, that's great. But even better than that would be able to just have some sort of a blanket thing because we do hear this talk that, yeah, this thing's going to be around. We're just, it's just, we're not going to defeat it. We just have to learn to deal with it and what the best way to live with it is. But what if we could actually defeat it? What if we could like vaccinate against like, yeah, all the future coronaviruses because it's all version of the same thing as it develops and stuff like i love that it's a great idea yeah i mean there's been work on it for like the past 15 years that's where the current covid vaccines came from but the research into uh a vaccine again all, all the coronaviruses out there just hasn't hasn't stopped it in fact it's gaining steam now that we have more and more uh, things to study, more and more effort is going into it, and money doesn't really seem to be an object as we try to kind of get a hold of it. So that's that's a, that's a big like good news moment. You know, we're not no one is no one is trying to just say let's just do the boosters. We're actually trying to look for a long term solution, and it looks like one is is already being tested. Um, Fantastic. Yeah, the other uh, the other thing that I thought was uh, was actually very nice to hear about is the fact that uh, big investors who are looking to kind of upgrade uh, the technology infrastructure that we have today, uh, update, update the energy grids that we have today, cope with the growth in in cities and populations, uh, they're betting all of their money on renewable sources. So, okay, solar. This is exciting. Yeah, so solar, wind, tidal, hydrothermal, geothermal, they're actually becoming cheaper than oil and gas. And that's even with all the subsidies that oil and gas gets around the world. So there's literally trillions of dollars now being lined up for a clean energy transition. Yeah, this actually reminds me of uh, – uh, I was reading a book on this years ago, and I was kind of uh, a bit dismayed about the future of clean energy and uh, frustrated with why – we weren't putting more effort into it. There was been stories for years about how to make more efficient cars and, oh, people put solar panels on their roofs and it creates so much energy that they sell energy back to the grid. We've all heard these types of stories over a course of years. And I, I found myself frustrated because I was like, why, why aren't we doing this if we have this technology and it's working? And uh, a commentator that I was reading basically said, Look, people people can shoot this stuff down all they want, but ultimately the the business end will make the transition. If it becomes more profitable to do green, that's where that's what's going to happen. Like the the money, the business will follow where the smart money is, and it sounds like 
the smart money is going to be in green energy. It's cheaper to produce. It, it goes farther. It's easier to get, uh, or at least it sounds like it will be. Yeah, and it's on top of that, it's good PR. And, and really, let, let's think about it from a standpoint of, you know, what happens 200 years from now? Uh, in is, is there a – have you ever seen a sci-fi movie where the spaceship is powered by coal? <laughs> or they have like an oil refinery out in space trying to trying to pump their, their right. spaceship full of petroleum? No. No, it's, it's not going to work. It's just that fossil fuels can't be the energy of the future. They, they simply can't be. They, they're not effective enough. They're not powerful enough. And they come with way too many collateral costs. So what's going to end up happening in, and what is actually already ending up happening is that the smart money is betting it all on green energy and essentially saying we're going to have so many jobs. We should have the people who are currently in oil fields, they're currently doing fracking, they're currently uh, doing oil and gas exploration come work for us because we need people who know how to deal with hardware, people who can set up a solar array, people who can set up wind turbines. We need all of that. So there's plenty of jobs for everyone. There's a ton of demand for it. The technologies are now being proven. So let's let's go. Let's go for it. Let's invest in all of these projects. Let's get them up and running as quickly as possible. Now, because I know that, uh, as you mentioned, sort of at the beginning of the segment here, that sometimes you can be the wet blanket when it comes to stories like this. Uh, let me ask you personally, do you see this as as a realistic and viable option for the future? Oh, absolutely. It's just a it's just a matter of trying to get the rollout right right trying to find trying to find the right places where you're going to do the most impact it's not going to be something that's going to be done overnight because we're talking about uh, changing a hundred years worth of infrastructure and it's just it's not going to happen it's not going to happen within you know a couple of years it's not like a five to ten year project. Right. this is a this is a 25 to 50 year project but the whole idea is we are going to get cleaner and greener because we have to and there's a lot of businesses that are recognizing that this is essentially inevitable. Yeah, I uh, I saw a great clip and it's gone viral. I'm sure that people have seen it as well, uh, where Elon Musk is speaking at a at an oil and gas conference. And he says, look, if there was a button that I could push that would essentially evaporate all of the world's oil supply, of course, I wouldn't do it. The right thing is to come up with a, a transitional plan and work work our way, you know, less oil, more green energy, uh, less, you know, oil and gas, more renewable resources, uh, that type of thing. But I guess if now maybe I'll be the wet blanket where I, I think that down the line, where, wherever it is, if it's in 20 years, 50 years, whatever, sure, we'll probably all be driving electric cars, which is great for the environment, uh, but we'll all be paying $600 a month electricity bill instead of 50 or 60 or whatever we are because – when we all start plugging our cars into 220 outlets at our house, the grid needs to be able to provide that much energy. Well, that's kind of the point that we'll have more than enough re renewable sources where we're providing that energy, where we have more than enough batteries that are able to provide that energy. That's right. really kind of that's kind of the really the long term point because right now energy generation is cheaper with renewables. So the whole plan is as we scale up, it'll be even cheaper than that. Instead of having a, ma a massive power plant that we're going to need to sustain, we just have solar panels that we need to clean and take care of. So the costs are going to be already lower. I love so that. That's, that's not the problem that I would see. I think the okay. problem that I would see would be the political problem where people just don't want to go 
uh, don't don't want to let go of oil and gas and say, well, this is how we made our lives, and this is there's a lot of culture that is involved with oil fields and with with oil and gas exploration, and essentially just just fighting against just making the transition. That's I think that's the that's the big thread I see on the horizon. Yeah, and the other thing that I actually really like about this is green energy feels like you can control it yourself, like individual people. I could put solar panels on my roof and a giant windmill out in a field that I own, and nobody has a monopoly on the sun or the wind or the currents of the ocean, whereas the energy that we have now that's drilled out of the earth, companies own the refineries and companies own the drills and the drilling equipment and all of that. So it's obviously very privatized, but with renewables and green energy, uh, there's an option for us as individuals to essentially create our own or gather that energy ourselves, or at least it seems like that. Well, what you're talking about, it's it's an idea that's called microgrids. And the, and the thought is that we would have a grid that kind of provides us the, the baseline power and electricity. But in the event of a disaster, in the event of when, when there's a lot of production on an individual's end, we don't need the grid or we can survive without the grid or we can bring up our own little mini grid in a disaster and, and weather the storm that way. So we're not relying on, like you said, a single point of failure. Yeah, it's very cool stuff and very, uh, very positive. And I guess ultimately it's, uh, it's better for the planet. It's better for us and it's better for the planet and it's way less pollution. So that's fantastic. And now let's talk about space flight. I love this. This is going to be a reality? Well, I, it's already a reality. So uh, 2020, year that private companies prove that they can send humans into space. And it's not a pipe dream. We can actually... Uh, we can actually have somebody build a rocket and send it, and that person is not a government agency that is spending billions and billions and billions of dollars per every launch. Now, the important the important thing that happened in 2021 is that space travel and space tourism kind of became mundane. Okay, all these rich guys going into space and right. returning safely and talking about how there was a trip of a lifetime and yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and they were sure, up whatever. there for just like a minute. How long were they up there for? Well... Some of them were there for a couple of minutes, but there is a uh, Japanese billionaire who recently went up to the International Space Station, spent uh, spent almost two weeks there uh, in preparation for a trip around the moon on the SpaceX future spacecraft. And this so, is strictly a commercial tourism trip for him. This is yep. tourism. He's not yep. going for any reason other than the fact that he's a billionaire and he wants to say that he did it, so he's going to do it. Absolutely. And and you know what? Here's the thing. There's going to be a lot of people who say, well, well, what are they doing? They're spending all this money going into space and, 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 and what do we get out of it? Well, there's a couple of things that we actually get out of it. First and foremost is that we are getting much more reliable and cheaper space travel. Because all of that money gets immediately poured into investments in reusing launch vehicles, creating new launch vehicles, researching new launch vehicles. Um, it also is creating a market where space travel is becoming more self-sustaining. Like you, you want to actually get into the space market. There's there's money there now, and then most importantly, it's creating potential jobs and research opportunities uh, that are related to space travel but can be applied to Earth. There are literally hundreds and thousands of inventions that we use every day that have been accelerated or or just outright inspired by spaceflight 
and we can even look at you know our smartphones, you know the ones where which we used to doom scroll. Well, the reason why those exist is because the Apollo program accelerated the adoption of integrated circuitry, which makes devices like smartphones possible. So, and we can go and we can go through many many examples like that. But the bottom line is when you have to challenge engineers and you have to challenge researchers with really like radical revolutionary solutions to extremely difficult problems they're going to they're going to be able to do it meanwhile on earth we have this incremental I- ideology where we just can say well you know we'll we'll get to this in a year we'll get to this in 5 years it's not going anywhere we can just make like these little incremental changes but you can't do that with space travel you have to have these big bold holistic solutions and we can immediately turn them back onto the earth so for example energy generation sustainable environments that can withstand disasters uh and and radiation a lot of these things that that we're going to basically build for space tourists are things we can bring right back home and use it in developing countries and we can use it to also revolutionize uh already developed post-industrial countries and really kind of base our economy around innovations rather than just con- consumerism. I, I really like uh, the positive look, the positive Greg Fish. I like I like this. I, li- I like the positive outlook. So, I, I mean, the thing about the, the space travel and even looking back to the moon landing, there was this whole thing around it of we need to do this to prove that we can just to show that we are capable of going beyond and trying harder things and doing it in itself is reason enough to do it. I love that. I mean, I also am discouraged by the idea that this is just uh, space is a big playground for billionaires, but I know that that's not what it's ultimately going to be. Are you suggesting that you see this as, uh, okay, so I'm going to travel to Russia next year. And instead of taking an 18 hour flight, I'll be able to go into outer space and come back down uh, far quicker than I would just using commercial air travel. It will be possible. There's a lot of logistic things in the way, but yeah, technically it could be possible. Or rather the, the other big one is, you know, in say 15 years, or 20 years, I would like a vacation on the moon because why not? I haven't been there. And here you go. There's a vacation on the moon. Um, but it, so there's, there's a little bit of, uh, so the, the positive of Greg Fish has a little bit of a, of a, of a kicker to it. It's a bit of an ominous positivity thing. Like the world is going to move forward. We're going to move forward with green energy. We're going to move forward with medicine. We're going to move forward with space travel. We're going to move forward with engineering. Right now, the things that we see, the negative parts of the world that we see uh, is us trying to transition to that and people unable to kind of cope with the fact that the world is changing, trying to hold us, trying to hold us back from actually responding to those changes. But the bottom line is time marches on. Yes. And we're going to those changes are going to happen whether we like it or not. And the best thing that we can possibly do is we embrace those changes and we can figure out how to make it work for us because, you know, otherwise we're going to still end up with those changes, but it's going to take longer and it's going to cost a lot more money and a lot more people are going to have a worse quality of life. So it's kind of like we can do the easy way or the hard way. And the easy way is just to say, let's just get with the times. Yeah. And I, I'm surprised as well, too, with 
people's hesitancy to do that, like you to get with the times, especially in light of how much change we have seen in our lifetime. And this is another one of those things that people love to love to trot out all the time. This idea that if you look at the last, I don't know, let's say 100 years, that the first 75 of them, the amount of information that we had access to in those first 75 years compared to the last 25 years, if we're looking at 100 years, it's astronomically higher in the last 25 years because things are moving so so much faster, even in my own life. Like I was born before the internet. I remember, you know, riding bikes and I totally sound like such an old person, but I, I, rem- I am now, I'm 40. But I remember riding bikes and, you know, playing hockey. Like that's how we entertained ourselves. And then when I got the original Nintendo, it was like, this is amazing. I push a button on the controller and the guy moves on the screen. And even to see where we've come from there, is so cool. So the idea that people would uh, push against that to me is just so ridiculous. But I know that they are they are doing. But like you say, it's inevitable. It's coming. The world is moving forward. Yeah, and you know I can totally relate to exactly what you're saying. I'm not that I'm not that much younger than you, and uh, I, I have seen a great amount of change. And I think that that's really kind of like our generation and younger generations can look at all the change and just say, yeah, things change all the time. You know, things that we think are going to be around forever are gone in two to five years. And generations before us haven't experienced that rate of accelerating change. So they're very comfortable where they are and they don't like things being changed on them. And, um, yeah, there's no, unfortunately there's nothing we can do about that. It, right. Part of part of the reason why things are changing that fast is because they set in motion a system that does exactly this, and that's and if they don't like it, well, they have no one to blame but themselves. At this point. <laughs> I love it. The positive Greg Fish to wrap up 2021. Thank you so much, Greg. We're gonna get uh, space flight. It's gonna be easier and more reliable. Green energy is winning against fossil fuels, and the future of medicine is bright for future pandemics. You can read about all of those things uh, on worldofweirdthings.com. This is the Shift Podcast. Joining us now to talk some tech, it's Handy Andy Berard, Disco Andy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's fun. I like, I like it. this. Yeah. Uh, how you doing, man? Haven't seen you in a couple weeks because I've been away. How, how's everything? How are you? How was your Christmas? Uh, well, Christmas, you know, Omicron really changed it. Uh, we're supposed to have a big Christmas this year, you know, have the family all get together, but... Um, that changed. And so it was a lot of Zoom. And, um, you know, there's always next year. That's yep. the great thing about Christmas. Absolutely. There's always next year. And, Absolutely. And, and this year's almost over, too. So that's something to be thankful of as well. Yeah, for sure. And I wanted to talk to you because there's so I feel like tech is evolving uh, so rapidly these days. Um, so what do you think were some of the biggest tech stories of the last year of 2021? I think so many people were so focused on COVID and pandemic and all of that type of stuff uh, that we maybe even missed some of these big tech stories because some really cool stuff did happen. Well, you know, the, the, the really big tech story that I was thinking about was just when Amazon Web Services, when, when Amazon Web Services goes down, the internet goes down yeah. because it powers so much of the internet. And I think that makes me start to realize 
that maybe we we got it wrong the way that we have these big companies how they can have all the cloud out there like Amazon it runs Netflix it runs so many different types of websites that when the AWS goes down it, it causes like huge problems across the globe and it's happened a couple of times in 2021 right. so I I don't know how they're gonna fix this what's the solution or you know is Amazon's just too big. It's kind of like so, Facebook. Totally, it's a company man. that needs to be Why does Amazon have the whole uh e-commerce and then they have the servers too? Like they are running everything and um yeah. So the, the, that's the big issue I think for 2021 is all these big tech companies they're almost too big to fail, but they're failing all the time. Totally. There was a f- huge, famous Facebook outage. It was all you could read about on Twitter. Everybody, Twitter was like, welcome here, everyone. who had Because yeah, Facebook was down for like six hours and people were panicking, didn't know what to do. But you bring up a really interesting point. And I think that at least I didn't realize it until this year that because you, you hear about how much money Jeff Bezos makes and how profitable Amazon is. And you just automatically, at least for me, think, well, yeah, they're selling everything online, of course. But that actually, I think, is is secondary now to the fact that they do this web service stuff where, like you say, they power e-commerce for essentially the entire internet. Yeah, they, they do it for a lot of universities. Um, so what happens is basically they got it. They have it so it's scalable. So you could be a small business and you have everything in the cloud. And as your business is growing, you can just get more and more of these services. Right. And Amazon's an expert at it because they've built their entire business on these servers that they started to realize, wait, we have this extra space. Why don't we start selling it? And that became, that's their bread and butter right now. People don't realize how big Amazon Web Services is these days. And like you were mentioning, when Facebook goes down, like, and and what's really funny, and this is a cool story, when Facebook went down, um, a lot of the people that were in a boardroom, they couldn't get out of the boardroom because they needed to scan their ID, but the ID was connected to the server, which was down. So oh they my were gosh. actually stuck. <laughs> they couldn't even get out of it. And that just shows you when you build the internet where everything is on like a server yeah. and that server goes down, then you can, you start to realize just how many things are on that server. Absolutely. And I, I think that's a thing that we don't realize where we're going. And I didn't mention to you that I want to talk about this, but if not now, like I absolutely want to ask you about the metaverse because I read this article and it kind of segues from what we're, what we're kind of talking about, how, cause the, the, the next version of the internet, the metaverse is what we're kind of calling it now will essentially be, uh, an, a completely privatized internet owned by four companies like Facebook, Amazon, and Google es- essentially. And if one of them goes down and it's like, t- we're talking about a deeper existence, like more, more of our, of our, uh, time and more of our like yeah more of our existence is spent online and when a portion of that goes down like you you almost cease to to live you know you cease to do all those things that you're doing it's just so crazy and i'm glad to hear that there are people who are pushing back and fighting against this and wanting to keep the internet at least partially the way that it is it's kind of like when your power goes out in your home and you realize just how much everything yeah. takes electricity and you can't do anything. Like, um, that's why I've been, uh, I'm not a big fan of smart locks because I have reviewed a lot of these smart locks. I have some, Yep. but as soon as your internet goes down 
and you stop carrying keys because you're so used to just using, you know, your lock, using your phone to unlock your door. It, it just creates so many more problems. So don't get a smart lock, folks. And if you do, <laughs> you got to get a backup lockbox to put by your door because at some point in time, you're going to be locked out of your house and you'll be like, why did I connect this to my Wi-Fi network? What you a know, dumb idea. It's so it's so funny that you mentioned that because I've actually been researching these because I I want to be able to I'm, – I'm one of these people where I leave the house – and then I get in the car and I'm halfway to where I'm going and I stop and ask myself, did I lock the door? And I want to be able to just look on my phone and it says, yep, your door is locked. So that's why I've been looking for it. But of course, I also am aware that this can happen where your phone goes down or your connection goes down or you lose your phone or whatever. Now you're locked out, you know? Yeah. So that's the, one of the things. The, the best solution that I have found so far is you can get these locks where you just put your, your four pin code on it, right? Yep. Like you just... And, and then you manually turn the deadbolt because a lot of these smart locks, they want you to just put the, the number in and the deadbolt moves. But one right. thing, and I don't know how other people's houses are, but my house, my front door, during the, the, the season, it changes. Like in the wintertime, the yeah. wood starts to expand. So it doesn't, it does, that lock doesn't turn as much. So right. now you got this automated thing that can't shut the door. It's just problem after problem. So if you want, if you want to not have to carry keys, you get this one where you manually press press your pin code and you turn the deadbolt yourself. Those ones, the battery on those will last two, three years, not a problem. And you can still use your key as well. So it's it's still like old school and new school at the same time with no Wi-Fi. So less problems. Perfect combination. Now, how about this though? The the smart pet door. Yeah, so this is one of the coolest things that um, I saw this year coming out of the smart home category because we t- we talk about smart homes and it's like, what's the smart home going to look like, Scott, in five and 10 years? Are we still going to have lights? Like, where's the innovation? Right. And so this company came out, it's a company called MyQ and it's called the Pet Portal. Now, a lot of you know pet owners will know that you can buy a door where you have a little doggy door on the bottom yep. where your pet can go in and out. So this one, you would you would actually have to get a new door. They they fit this into the door, but it that the pet door opens like an elevator. So <laughs> I love and it. it has a two way speaker and microphone on it. So basically, what happens is your pet, if he wants to go outside for potty or just to go outside and play, and you're at work and you're not at home, they can go right by the door. The camera senses that. As the owner, you can set it on the app if you want them to automatically open the door when they're nearby, or you have to give them permission to go outside. Oh, wow. And then they also have a Bluetooth caller, and you can actually track your dog as they're in the yard, and then when they go in and out of your house. So it gives you that peace of mind, but it also gives you that flexibility as well to keep that door open or closed remotely. And I think that is a great solution. You know, I'm like Handy Andy, so I want products that solve problems yes and that one does it right there oh and i am a huge dog person and we had our dog was notorious for just randomly wanting to go outside and then back inside and then outside and then back inside just at as he saw fit and this this would 
we would absolutely have spent the money on this if it meant not having to get it because we lived in this place where the the exit was on the ground floor and then family room and then bedroom even above on three levels up. And to go all the way down the stairs, let them out, go all the way back up, all the way down the stairs, let them in, that whole thing. So this idea is absolutely genius and I love it. And they're geniuses for doing it because pet people are crazy and we will spend so much money on our pets. Well, absolutely. And just think of the the peace of mind it gives you when you're not at home and you feel that guilt, like, oh, I should go home to let, the let dog my out. dog out. Um, now you could just watch them go in and out. You can talk to them. You can this see so them. Crazy. You can track them on your phone. So this is where I want to see the smart home. I want to see not, not smart locks where it just caused another problem that you didn't really have before, right. but this one actually solves that problem. So if you people want to learn more about it, they can go to my website handyandymedia.com. I got a little blog article and a link to this technology. And again, you have to retrofit it with your your door. But like you said, pet owners, you know, there's no price to go to to get that kind of convenience. Uh, We're here with Handy Andy Barrar. Handyandymedia.com is his website. And uh, we've been talking about uh, the big tech movements of 2021, specifically the metaverse, which has us all freaked out. And now we're going to talk about uh, some tech stuff to watch in 2022. Now, is this one I'm actually going to be able in the next year, Andy, to put on a VR headset and be in the Bahamas. Is that this year or is that still coming? Well, Facebook is really want to not to only be in the Bahamas, but to have a board meeting at work while you're at the Bahamas right. virtually. So, you know, this is why they changed their name to Meta or their parent company to Meta because they're, they're all in on this. And you might remember, Scott, that Facebook bought Oculus Rift years ago. Right. So Mark Zuckerberg's really into the VR I, I've tried all of these VR headsets yeah. and you know what? It is kind of cool, but it's very solitary. Like you look really weird when you wear it to other people. Like you just look like, okay, this person's like in some other universe right now. Sure. Like it's, it's interesting because for, to your point, we go to a coffee shop when in non pandemic times and open up our laptop and have a coffee and do some work, but you're also sort of face to face and in a shared space with other people. So if you're going to go to a coffee shop to get a coffee and do your work, then everybody in the shop would have VR headsets on essentially. See, and this is why I'm very um, critical and suspect of this whole metaverse because it requires you to wear these VR headsets. And I just find that weird. And I, you know, I was thinking about it the other day, Scott. I'm like, you know, we, we, everybody, the online dating is a big thing, right? Sure. But what happens when you have online dating and the metaverse? It's like you meet somebody on Tinder and your first date is on the metaverse. Like you yeah. go to like a metaverse movies. Like <laughs> it, it all just feels and I'm going to date myself. It feels Twilight Zone. It feels Black Mirror. Uh, it reminds me of uh, in WALL-E, you know, like they're on the spaceship in WALL-E and the, the, the chair does everything for them. The people, yeah. it like feeds them and like moves them around and everything. And people just stay in one spot and are hooked up to the machine. It's scary. I'm super scared of it. I, I hope it's not coming soon. But like we've been talking about, these big companies like Zuckerberg and Facebook and Amazon, they're, they're moving in that direction. So it's going to be an interesting thing to kind of watch unfold. But there is some other cool stuff uh, coming in 2022 that I'm actually kind of excited about, like uh, right to repair. Yeah. So we've been seeing this movement um, for the last couple of years, and it's been gaining a lot of momentum. A lot of governments are getting on board. 
And basically the right to repair is putting legislative pressure on these tech companies to start designing products that we can fix. Yeah. Because if you have a smartphone and your, your screen cracks, you know, like I'm a pretty handy guy in electronics. I can't fix that. Yeah. Just, I even got the, the, the right tools to do it, but it's like, you, you, I just don't have that knowledge. Sure. Now, what I think you're going to see is more and more companies come out that are going to have alternatives to Apple, to all these big companies where they're going to have, there's a company in Europe right now, they have a smartphone called Fairphone and it's going to be a modular type of smartphone. So you want a new camera? Take the old one out, put a new camera in. You need a new screen, you can replace it. And I think we need that. We have the technology, Scott, right. to do that. How come companies like Apple, who tried to say that they care about the environment, yes. we're putting less packaging because we really care about the environment. Why don't you just make a freaking iPhone that I can fix? Well, you know? I mean, because of course that eats in that eats into your profit margin, right? Exactly. And this it's so interesting to see this happening in the tech sector because I'm a car guy. We've talked about cars a little bit and I'm used to being able to, uh, you know, with a few years old car, do my own oil change, do these type of things. But we've sort of seen it in the automotive industry where they've, they're making it more difficult to do that stuff, where they want you for everything to bring it into the dealership. Like you can still repair it. We're still going to allow you to upgrade it, repair it, you know, change the tires, whatever. But you have to come to us to do it. And I mean, I suppose with the Apple stuff and phones, even if I have to take it to a repair shop, at least I can get it repaired. And I really love the idea of, hey, I, I don't necessarily need uh, the biggest screen. I don't want to have a huge phone in my pocket, but I do want the best camera. And up until now, I've had to get the biggest phone because I want, like, I want the Pro Max, but I, I just want the Pro, but I want the Pro Max camera. And if I can, like you say, with the Fairphone modular, pick and choose the pieces that I want or just upgrade this and not have that, I like that. I don't like being constrained uh, by the way that the company is building it. Even, even laptops. I remember back in 2012, you could buy a MacBook, and if you wanted more RAM, you could just buy X RAM right. and go ahead and put it in yourself. Then they stopped doing that. They started soldering the RAM right into the motherboard, making all these excuses. Oh, this is just a better so performance. So frustrating. It's like, no, you made it so that I have to get a new computer if I want more RAM. And there's a company that's coming out right now called Framework. And they're, they're making what's called the Framework laptop, which is a modular laptop. Same thing like Fairphone. You can just go ahead and make your own components. You spill coffee on it. Your keyboard's fried. Take the keyboard out, put a new one in and, you know, and then basically it's like you have this one laptop that you just keep fixing rather than having to buy the whole thing again. Right. This is really where I want to see the tech industry go. I think it's, it's about time, but I do want to see companies like Apple, companies like Samsung come out and say, you know what, we're going to create a modular version of our phones for you guys. I think that's really where the industry needs to go. And governments need to keep putting pressure on the companies to make that happen. Yeah, and you think that's a reality that we'll probably see in 2022? You're going to see company, more and more of these startups come up with alternatives, eco-friendly types of products that are modular. I definitely think you're going to see that in uh, 2022. Definitely in Europe. I hope we can see it in, in uh, North America as well. 
Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. 